This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, Counterspend, The Onion Radio News, The Majority Report, Comedian Lee Camp, and Jim Hightower. And remember, you can have dessert, but only after you finish the entire episode. There is going to be a severe food shortage in this country because of the drought that we're facing. And as early as 2050, we might have to become vegetarians because of the fact that it's just going to take too much water to farm cattle. Now, uh, this is disastrous news, especially because there are a number of different factors that are at play. First of all, you have the growing population. I know Jenk likes to argue that growing population isn't really that big of a deal and we'll find a way to deal with it but because of the growing population because of climate change we are going to have to fight for resources so according to the leading water scientists humans derive about 20 percent of their protein from animal-based products now but this may need to drop to just five percent to feed the extra two billion people expected to be alive by 2050 there will not be enough water available on current croplands to produce food for the expected 9 billion population in 2050 if we follow current trends and changes toward diets common in Western nations. Look, we can hope that after 2050 it'll go down. I've seen some projections that they think that it will level off and go down. But it's difficult to make those predictions, and we don't know what will happen. Like, people didn't know that, that China's population would grow as quickly as it did over the last 50 years if you went beyond 50 years ago. And there might be other regions of the world that if they become become more economically developed, they could face a massive rise in population as well. So look, it's going to be bad soon. We're all going to have to become vegetarians. It might be even worse after that. We'll be lucky if there are enough vegetables to go around after that point. Maybe. I know. I'm actually surprised that growing vegetables isn't going to be... Uh, or a problem? The, yeah. I mean, it seems like it's still going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. There's still going to be uh, malnourishment throughout the world because of the fact that we don't have enough water to grow crops. Um, but I'm actually surprised at how much more money uh, water it takes to uh, take care of cattle as opposed to growing crops. It's significantly well, more. Well, think about it, though. I mean, you can eat a bit of spinach, and that's food for you. Whereas mm-hmm. if you filter that through a cow, it needs to eat lots of spinach day after day after day for months right. or years before you finally eat the delicious hamburger. Right. Um, so this is, a, this is actually like, this has become very real now with these new reports out of the UN that conservatives will almost certainly deny are true. But if you are a vegetarian, you almost certainly knew about the problem with how much it takes to, to produce animal proteins. Right. Um, it takes five to ten times as, mu- as much water to uh, raise cattle and yeah. take care of cattle as opposed to using that water for crops. Will you be able to adapt to this new world, do you think? I think I would. Um, mm-hmm. if, if only 5% of my diet could consist of animal protein, I think I could do it. Okay. Um, I'm definitely more in favor of uh, vegetables, grains, those kinds of things. Yeah. Sugar. They don't make, they don't specifically, I don't think they go into fish in this, but all, of course there are also problems with global overfishing and, and things like that. We might have to convert more to fish as opposed to land based uh, animal proteins. That would be fine with me. Look, I just had sushi today and it's absolutely delicious mm. and healthy. I feel you good. You damn elitist. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, but no, I, there are already many cultures that, that they, they don't eat meat at the same rate that we do, or they didn't before they became Americanized. It used to be something that you'd have a small amount, it would be flavoring or something like that in traditional like Asian cultures. And now, not only here, but now because our restaurants are spreading, people seem to think that every meal has to be a big plate of meat with maybe some vegetables or french fries around the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoy it while you can. Absolutely. By 2050, you might not be eating that meat. Tried to amend my carnivorous habits. Made an LS7 in 
One in three U.S. adults is obese, according to a study, but there's something in this study that actually might surprise you. Uh, one in three American adults is obese, according to uh, the, the, a recent study released according to U.S. data. This, surprisingly, has actually stayed the same in recent years. There's always this kind of idea that obesity is on the rise in the United States. And while child obesity numbers do seem to be creeping up, it actually is not ending up with more obese adults. So it seems some of them are just getting started earlier, which is probably less healthy, but the actual rate of obesity among adults has been holding steady for the last few years. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, we have been going through a bit of a, a health renaissance, right? With all the, the food crazes, the exercise and everything. It's, it's two different it's, worlds, though. There's been that health renaissance and the people like Lewis who get... Uh, 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 coconut pulp drinks and he's drinking kombucha which he says is completely disgusting but he's just drinking it because he read somewhere that it's healthy and he's got raw cereal bars I mean it's incredible the stuff you bring into the studio right yes it's, it's pretty incredible so you have that side of things and you know I try to eat healthy also I'm, I'm very aware of, of diet and nutrition and that type of thing and many people are but just because the kind of hipster foodie health food craze <laughs> exists there is also the fast food obsession with bigger and bigger sodas and people needing to have, you know, the, the 108 gallon soda with them all the time. Um, right. Well, this, this renaissance, I would say, is more just awareness. And I think the vast majority of the people who are downing these uh, two liter sodas right. and, uh, you know, 10, 10 whoppers or whatever they're doing, <laughs> a lot of them are perfectly aware of what they're doing to their bodies. They just don't care. Right. Well, it seems like it's possible Americans may be as heavy as they're going to, to get. Uh, women haven't gotten any more obese since 1999, and men haven't gotten any more obese than to, since 2003. And it's incredible because if you just do look at kind of uh, anecdotal coverage of obesity, people get the impression it's just worse every single year, and the evidence just isn't, isn't that way. Right. Are you still on fast food, or what's the story? I cannot remember the last time... I went into a fast food restaurant. Well, what counts as fast food, I think, is the question. I mean, I, I can't think of any. I mean, there haven't been anything anything from McDonald's to Burger King to KFC, Taco Bell, or even Boston Market or anything like that. Boston Market's a tricky one because people think that it's actually good, but it's really it's, it's basically not, just as yeah. bad. Yeah. I, I, my claim to fame... My it's only a Subway, though. I do eat Subway from time to time just because it's uh, convenient. Is that right? Yeah. And what's... The, I mean, Subway is fast food, right, guys? We're not... That's, it's just the reality. I mean, it's fast and it's also pretty bad. It's, you you disagree? No, nah, I'm just. I don't think it's good food, but it's definitely not nearly as unhealthy as like McDonald's or any of those places. Right, right. right. What do you get? Like a meatball parmesan? No, I just get like a usually a turkey sub. Turkey. Yeah. You, you know those uh, those cold cuts. Processed. A lot of nitrites in there. Well, like I said, I don't do it often. Right. Um, yeah, I, my claim to fame is my only claim to fame, really. Uh, obviously, this show is not my claim to fame. The, my claim to fame is actually I haven't been to McDonald's since I was 15 years old. And you used to be McDonald's crazy. You wouldn't go to any other fast food place. <laughs> That's not true. Yes, it is. I didn't even have a car. I, did, I couldn't go to any place. I had nothing. I had my bike. No, I mean, I mean when we were really young. You right. refused to go. He, David refused to go to Burger King. I can't, honestly, I can't tell if this is even for real. No, this is real. You refused to go to Burger King. You hated Burger King. You would only go to McDonald's. I used to like Something Wendy's. Something about the buns. Wendy's, the buns. Yeah. Like you, I seem concerned with buns. You, you hated, yeah, you hated the buns. I'm not making this up. You, you refused to go to Burger King because I preferred Burger King. You know, I used to kind of be into Wendy's uh, chicken nuggets. And then once I found out about the whole thing with processed chicken and that it's almost like just kind of like a chicken 
paste. Chicken paste that has been congealed with breading around it. I was so grossed out by that. I mean, honestly, if I, I stay away from, like, food ink is the most I can really tolerate, and even that was a little bit of a stretch. If I actually saw more graphic slaughterhouse-type videos, I, I might stop eating meat altogether. I mean, I, I'm, I, I feel like it's only by chance that that hasn't happened. Well, there aren't many of the, the major slaughterhouses around here, that's for sure. No, but so. there's plenty of internet access around here with yeah, videos on the internet. that's true. I bet those companies are trying to uh, trying very hard to keep cameras out of their facilities. Oh, no question yeah. about it. That's why any time you see one of those food documentaries, there's rarely ever actual footage unless it's like weird uh, handheld hidden camera type stuff mm -hmm. of the really bad facilities. Because right. that's the last thing, the last thing anybody who's selling you meat wants, with the exception of you know kind of local or organic farmers, uh, is you knowing what's going on in the preparation. That's the last thing they need at all. Absolutely. ABC World News used its June 5th broadcast to toot the company horn with a segment that Diane Sawyer introduced like this. Michelle Obama appeared today with the CEO of our parent company, Disney, because Disney decided to do something historic to help fight childhood obesity and called in the big guns to do it, including a very, very famous mouse. The historic move? Food advertised during ABC's children's programming will now have to meet nutritional standards, standards determined by the nutrition experts at Disney. It certainly isn't that it's a bad idea to stop pushing unhealthy junk to children. If anything, it's overdue. But ABC's glowing tribute, along with other similarly uncritical accounts, omitted some relevant perspectives. The Associated Press ingenuously suggested that the multi-billion dollar corporation simply shared the motivation of parents. They were banning the ads, quote, hoping to stop kids from eating badly by taking the temptation away, close quote. Well, surely it's also relevant to consider what the company gains or loses by the move. The LA Times noted that Disney's spending on those ads was an estimated $7.2 million last year. But only Edmund Lee at Bloomberg News pointed out that that was less than one-tenth of one percent of the company's total ad sales. So much for what they lose, what they stand to gain is more significant and less acknowledged. ABC left out the other part of Disney's plan, but the Christian Science Monitor addressed it. The company will introduce a Mickey check, a branding icon they'll affix to certain products they deem nutritious, first at their own venues, but eventually more widely, appearing on what they call licensed food products. That's right, says Monitor correspondent Stephanie Haynes, Disney is branding health. She quotes Josh Golan of Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood, who says, quote, I think it's wrong to take a child's love for a character and leverage that love to get them to buy something, even if it's a product we think is good, close quote. Don't expect to hear Diane Sawyer talk about that.
It's the Onion Radio News. A bloodthirsty, undead ghoul advocates chocolate cereal consumption. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Count Vladimir Elisius von Chocula, the 400-year-old undead Romanian nobleman who sustains his existence by feeding on the blood of the living, held a press conference at General Mills headquarters today to restate his long-standing advocacy of the pre-sweetened breakfast cereal that bears his name. <laughs> It's so full of nutrients, it's frightening. Chocula concluded the press conference by fatally attacking Associated Press reporter Milt Feuerstein, biting into his jugular vein and sucking out nearly five pints of blood. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. You like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Hi everyone, just a quick note about Best of the Left being nominated for two podcast awards at podcastawards.com this year. We're up for awards in the Best Produced category as well as the News and Politics category. And not only that, lots of other progressive outlets are nominated in all sorts of other categories as well. So I suggest voting for Sam Cedar's Majority Report for The People's Choice, The Young Turks for Best Video Podcast, Citizen Radio in Comedy, Throwing Shade for the GLBT category, and Savage Love in the Mature category and consider doing what I've done and set a daily alarm for yourself so you can vote for all of your favorite shows in all the various categories each day at podcastawards.com until November 15th when voting closes. Thanks so much for your support. Eating bugs and seaweed is a great green way to replenish our food supply eat healthy, and basically feed an extra 2.5 billion extra humans by 2050. Now this is a really interesting idea. This is something that both uh, Andrew Zimmern and Anthony Bourdain talk about in great deal, or in great uh, extent, I should say, on their uh, television shows on the Travel Channel. I'm always fascinated by it. So you go to certain countries, like Thailand for instance, and they eat insects. And here in you know America and other Western cultures, it's disgusting. It's something that people wouldn't even consider. Well, what I loved about this particular article in Slate, why you should love grasshopper tacos and kelp pasta. It's fabulous. Read the whole article. It's, mm -hmm. I love it. But I love that. Um, he, he notes that about 200 years ago, lobster, lobster, which is now a delicacy and quite expensive, lobster 200 years ago was considered unfit for human consumption and only good enough for prisoners. No, that is, I always knew that. I, always I knew didn't that. know that. But here's what I didn't know. This is the incredible part. Back in the day, pr uh, prisons could only serve inmates lobster twice a week <laughs> because serving it more than twice a week was deemed cruel and unusual punishment. And this just shows you yeah. how times have changed. It's really just all a matter of perception. You know, humanity has survived over eons by finding something, anything to eat enough to stay alive. And that's why these have, uh, in, in countries where protein is a difficult source, uh, a difficult food to source, that that's why, you know, eating insects is, has become a delicacy. It's actually considered uh, worthwhile. And when you consider our industrial food system, mm -hmm. um, pretty much universally when you look at the energy inputs and the way that it impacts the environment both to get the food made and to process it and to distribute it and then the effects that it has on the population through obesity. Mm -hmm. Our food system right now is unsustainable. 
It and, really is. Um, this is one of those things that, that we may be turning toward. You know, we may find that as we try to feed a population of 9 billion uh, by 2050, that um, this might be where, where we start going in the United States. What people don't realize is insects are actually superfoods. And yeah, this they're is quite nutritious. They are nutritious. They're high in protein. They're, they're crunchy. They're, they're crunchy, <laughs> high in protein, low in fat. I mean, it sounds a lot like Greek yogurt. Uh. <laughs> it does. But, you know, they're also low intensity as far as yeah. impact, you know, because Definitely. the input to uh, industrially produce, I guess, grasshoppers would be a lot less than uh, the input right now for uh, raising industrial farm animals, the factory farming system that we have now, um, not just from an emission standpoint, but just from the impact on the earth. I am absolutely in favor of eating bugs. Eating, I, I mean, I've I've said on the show, and a lot of people are aware of it. Uh, I'm willing to try anything. So if somebody brought a tarantula in front of me right now and said, "Hey, try it," uh, it could be a food source in the coming months. I would definitely try it. But a lot of Americans, I mean, I'm looking at you, Desi. I know, I'm saying this, I know. And she's cringing. She's <laughs> like, like, "No, uh, I'm not going to try it." It's oh, disgusting. it's a hard one for me. I mean, if they were covered in chocolate, maybe it would yeah. be a hard one. But you know, remember just a few months ago the issues with Starbucks as you mentioned before that you know they were using their food coloring and their strawberry frappuccino I think yes. it was was crushed beetles and the idea that you know this was is that vegan you know I don't know <laughs> if that counts yeah. but they were able to you know the, the, the backlash that they got from just using what would be considered a natural food coloring um, that shows that we have a long way to go we I have think, a very long way to go this. I don't think this is going to change anytime soon Let's tune in. Rush Limbaugh just just got himself in, just twisting himself in pretzels here, talking about um, vegetarians. Now, I myself am not a vegetarian. I have known vegetarians. Some are vegetarians for health reasons. Some are for health of the planet reasons. Some are, um, you know, for the environmental implication, for both. I have met the majority of vegetarians I have known um, are pretty subtle about it. I've known some that are, uh, you know, proselytize. But I've known more people on the Atkins diet who have been proselytizers <laughs> than vegetarians. But be that as it may, Rush Limbaugh needs to make a point because um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Let's listen to this. Does organic food turn people into jerks? What do you think, folks? When I think of organic food, I think of vegetarians. All right, pause it for a second. 
Is this man, like, I mean, how, how out of it is Rush Limbaugh? Seriously. How out of it do you have to be to perceive organic food as having really anything to do with vegetarians? I imagine that vegetarians are conscious of what they eat, but I don't think every vegetarian is exclusively organic food. I try and eat as much organic food as possible um, because I don't want pesticides inside me. I also eat meat. When I eat meat, I try and eat uh, non-factory farmed. When I give my daughter milk, a non-vegan drink, incidentally, it's organic. Does this guy really, I mean... Has he been living under a rock? I think, you know, what's really clear is he's really out of touch. Organic? When I think organic, I think vegetarian. Really? Hmm. That seems sort of silly. Go ahead. I think of militant vegetarians. Now, mm. a liberal vegetarian is not content to just eat his vegetables. You have to, too. A conservative vegetarian will eat his vegetables and leave you alone. A liberal vegetarian will eat his and then demand that you only eat vegetables, too. Pause it for a second. See, now, the reason why Limbaugh has to make this dichotomy here is that let's break down why would someone be a vegetarian. Well, because they believe it's healthier for you, for me, as a vegetarian. If I'm a vegetarian, I believe it's healthier for me. And I believe it's healthier for the planet. Now, why would a conservative do it? Well... Maybe they think it's healthier for the planet, but they certainly think it's healthier for them. Now, if they think it's healthier for them, what do they think about the industries that produce meat? They think it's problematic, right? Because it's not healthy. People are not eating healthily. And Limbaugh cannot accept the notion that there's anything you could do that would change the outcome of life. He cannot accept, he cannot let his audience think that our behavior has any impact beyond ourselves. He cannot say that uh, there could be industries that, you know, may poison us over time because caveat emptor. And so he has to create this sort of bizarre, twisting dichotomy. Listen to this. And this is one of the big differences between liberals and conservatives across the board, whatever it is, whatever the left-right issue is. If a liberal doesn't want a gun, then the liberal wants to make sure that nobody else gets a gun. Pause it. I think it has more to do, not so much with having a gun, but people getting shot. I think that's why, if people have a problem with guns, it has more to do with not so much owning a gun as it does being on the receiving end of a bullet from a gun. That's probably, I think, the problem people have. All across the board, whatever they want, and they're the biggest bunch of, of, of uh, you know, I keep hearing about liberals are so tolerant and open-minded. They're not Liberals are the people of no. 
There's no tolerance whatsoever among people on the left. Anyway, that's what I think of when I think about does organic food turn people into jerks. Organic pause food. It, pause it, pause it. So when he thinks of organic food, he thinks liberals are jerks and intolerant. Ah. Go ahead. I always looked at as a, uh, a fad. Now, one thing that sets me apart from other people is that I think issues like this are liberal versus conservative. I think organic food nuts are liberals. Now, I'm sure there's some of you conservatives who are organic food nuts, but why are you? It's because the liberals have made this thing into some cause celeb, and it sounded attractive to you, and you bought into it. Pause it. In other words, what Limbaugh is saying is that you conservatives, you're weak-minded. That's why you eat organic food. Because you've been hypnotized. My audience just listens to anything. <laughs> yes. Organic food. Sturdily is what? I know he's, I can tell he's an organic food nut because I can tell by his reaction when I said organic food people are jerks. I heard his reaction. I got to take a break here. I just noticed. Calm down, Mr. You're not a jerk about, except about what you eat. That's the whole. All right, we'll be back. A quick timeout after this. Mm, one can only imagine why Limbaugh's ratings might be going down. The guy is completely incoherent. You know what I, I suspect? You know that Hillbury Heroin is once an addict, always an addict, is what they say. And uh, if there was anything that sounded like he's on drugs, i got to say that's what it is. I bet that staff member was prompt, who was an organic food eater was promptly fired for being a weak-minded oh, conservative. so weak. So weak. I've been hypnotized by the organic food industry. And you jerk it out. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. It's the Onion Radio News. An eight-year-old is forced to eat organic macaroni and cheese. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Despite the fact that eight-year-old Joshua Remmert can't stand the sight or smell of Annie's homegrown mac and cheese, the young boy was forced against his will by his own mother to choke down an entire plate of the organic pasta for lunch yesterday. The cheese is this weird yellow color instead of bright orange. After grudgingly consuming as much as he could stand of the low-in-sodium, non-preservative-laden, all-natural pasta, Remmert was then given a daunting choice between carrot juice and vanilla flavor. Rice Dream. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News online at the Onion.
A new study about organic food isn't high on the list of things you expect to get big coverage in the corporate media, unless, that is, the study can be seen as undermining the case for buying organic. That's exactly what happened with a new study that was released earlier this month. The headline was much the same everywhere you looked. If you're buying organic, you're not getting any health benefits. Little evidence organic food healthier was the Washington Post headline. On ABC World News, one reporter put it, quote, are organic produce and vegetables more nutritious? The answer, no, close quote. Much of the coverage focused on the question of whether organic foods have a higher nutritional value. The answer is no, but that's not really a surprise. That finding was translated into whether organic food is healthier, which is not the same issue. And the study actually found evidence of increased pesticide residue and antibiotic-resistant germs on conventional produce. And some organic products were found to contain more beneficial omega-3 fatty acids. But the headlines the study generated mostly dwelled on the negatives, as Curtis Brainerd documented in a review of the coverage for the Columbia Journalism Review website. And the media presented an extremely limited definition of the word healthy. As Brainerd noted, some buy organic because they think it's healthier for the planet, a concept mostly missing from the organic food is no better for you spin. don't know, Monsanto is a company in the agriculture business, and they are known for patenting uh, different types of seeds. Uh, they've done so with uh, cotton seeds. They've done so with corn seeds. Uh, so it's something that they have uh, done to kind of take over the food industry, right? And they've been in the middle of a lot of different controversy, but they are also known for genetically modified foods, right? Genetically modified seeds. And uh, a lot of our corn is genetically modified, thank you, thanks to Monsanto. Now, uh, scientists in France just recently did a study to see what the effects of genetically modified corn are on rats, right? Uh, now, this is really interesting because there has been um, a lack of scientific evidence that would indicate whether or not genetically modified foods, like genetically modified corn, are safe. And you know, okay for human consumption. So what they found was that these rats developed uh, mammary tumors, and they also had severe damage on some of their organs, including the liver and kidney. So Jesus. those are pictures indicating uh, what happened to the rats that were fed genetically modified corn. They do not appear to be okay. Uh, it's not the picture of what I would call safe. So. Of course, Monsanto is, uh, d you know, completely debating uh, the findings of this study. They're very, very aggressive in uh, fighting anyone that says anything negative about them, right? But there was an excellent documentary done. Uh, it was called The World According to Monsanto. And, uh, you know, they talked about the lack of oversight with the FDA when it came to genetically modified uh, seeds. So let's take a look at a part of that documentary that explains it in greater detail. The reason why GM crops are here is based on a deception that occurred in the FDA. They said that these foods are not different 
They use the word substantially equivalent. They use the word not meaningfully or uniformly different. And what that turned into was a, a terminology called generally recognized as safe or grass. Typically, if something is to be considered generally recognized as safe, it needs lots of peer-reviewed published studies and an overwhelming consensus among the scientific community. With GM crops, they had neither. So, you know, of course, Monsanto will come back and say, no, 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 we have a bunch of studies, okay? These are uh, studies that indicate that these foods are completely safe. However, if you do a little research into these studies, you'll find that they were in the middle of controversy because a lot of those studies were falsified. Okay. Wow. Now, and I'm sure that it wasn't scientists that Monsanto was paying to do those studies. No, 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 no. They wouldn't. And I'm sure those people have no biases whatsoever. Now, during the Reagan administration, uh, Monsanto was trying to, uh, you know, put out these genetically modified foods for human consumption. And it's really interesting because George Bush Sr. went to one of their factories and look at this exchange. I think it's very illustrative of what happens in politics. When George Bush Sr. toured the company's headquarters, he was Ronald Reagan's vice president. And deregulation was this Republican administration's watchword. The intention was to boost industry by eliminating what White House hardliners called bureaucratic hurdles, like health and environmental safety testing, which were Monsanto's key problems. We have before USDA right now a, a request to test this uh, for the first time in a, on a farm in, uh, in Illinois this year. And, uh, yeah, hallucinating about it, we'll lose it every year. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, the experience goes out and nothing happens because you can't. And I would say, quite frankly, we have no complaint about the way USDA is handled. Uh, they're going through yeah. an orderly process. They're making sure Very that as they deal with these new things, they do them properly. and. Uh, no, if we're waiting until September and we don't have our authorization, we may say something different. <laughs> Call me, we're in the dereg business. Call me, we're in the dereg business. Yeah, ain't that's the God's honest truth. Saying, hey, listen, man. Don't worry about testing it in rats, et cetera, et cetera. You just call us, the Republican Party, and we'll make that thing happen for you. So what they also do is, you know, they have these genetically modified seeds, and what they're doing is, first of all, they take out a patent for these seeds, okay? Because they do a lot of scientific research and put a lot of money into doing it, so I can understand the patents. But at the same time, they are taking conventional seeds off the market. They're striking deals uh, with different farmers throughout the world. This is a multinational corporation. And uh, what they're doing is they're promising that these genetically modified seeds will have higher yields. So they go into countries like India and they say, hey, look, we have this genetically modified cotton seed. It's known as BT cotton. And what it'll do is it'll uh, not only uh, produce a higher yield, but it is basically resistant to any type of, you know, uh, weeds, pests, any type of thing that would ruin your crops. So these farmers in India started signing the contracts and they started buying the seeds. Now understand why they would do that. They're going to increase their output, they're told, right. and they think, well, that's great, and I'm not going to lose more of my crops to all these problems that I've had in the past. So it's very enticing. But then the second part happens. So what happens is they slowly but surely start taking conventional cotton seeds off the market. So these farmers in India become dependent on buying the genetically modified cotton seed. Well, what happens then? Uh, Monsanto will mark up the prices to four times the price. Okay? That's the part they didn't tell you in the beginning. So then uh, these farmers in India have no choice but to take out these loans that later on they can't pay back. 
So what is the result of that? Well, let's watch the video. But this is the cotton growing area. The result of the BT cotton is the first year 600 suicides from June 2005 to 2006. Second year, still today, within six months, 680 suicides. So, it's a disaster. It's a complete disaster, yes. All these technologies, either it is GM or biotechnology, they're actually making the farmers completely dependent on the market. Because, not only that, you have to pay more for the seed procurement, but you, you have to fertilize. And there, the, this very claim that no spraying is required, no pesticide required, is also false. When Monsanto claims in advertising that GM crops are adapted for small farmers, what do you think it's? Our experience so that it is completely false. So, uh, as he mentioned, in one year there were uh, 600 farmers who committed suicide because they simply couldn't pay back their loans, they filed for bankruptcy, they lost everything, and they just had n nothing else to turn to. And by the way, I just want to be crystal clear that uh, suicides among farmers in India is, is you know, it, it happens for other reasons as well because of extreme poverty. But in that documentary, they were specifically focusing on uh, farmers who had to file for bankruptcy because they couldn't pay back those loans. Now, people are so concerned that in Norway, they have started a new holding center that's you know, partly buried underground, partly above ground, uh, that can withstand almost anything. To keep our original seeds, ones that have not been genetically modified. Because they're so worried the genetically modified seeds are going to take over and then perhaps even cross-pollinate and destroy some of their original seeds, and then God knows what we have after that. But they're making sure they can protect at least their original seeds in Norway. Mm -hmm. So it's worse than you realize. And unfortunately, when you dive into a lot of these multinational corporate stories, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. And I know, you know, we gave you, uh, you know, a quick rundown of what's happening with Monsanto. And this is by no means new news. But that study with the tumors is important, right? Because this is the kind of stuff that our FDA should have been doing, not researchers in France. I'm happy researchers in France are doing it. But it's, it's ridiculous the lack of oversight we have in our own country, especially when it comes to the food that we consume. Now, think about all the stories we've told you on the Young Turks where politicians get influenced by the money that they take. Now, you think some of that influence isn't going to affect the FDA or other government agencies? It's affected almost every government agency. So you think that perhaps some things get uh, authorized when they shouldn't be? Of course! Of course they do! So is this one of those cases? Well, we'll have to see over time, but this new research from France is not encouraging. And uh, a spokesperson from Monsanto did have a uh, reply to this study. Uh, he says, numerous peer-reviewed scientific studies performed on biotech corps uh, to date, including more than 100 feeding studies, have continuously confirmed their safety as reflected in the uh, respective safety assessments by regulatory authorities around the world. It's shocking that they would say that. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay, well, duly noted.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. You'll hear your presidential candidates blabber on about a lot of things during this campaign. Hell, Ohio alone has seen roughly 115,000 political commercials in 2012 so far, and it appears the only effect it's had is that the sales of feminine products have shot through the roof due to so many ads for douchebags. So you'll hear them talk about a lot of stuff, but you know one thing you won't hear them mention? Corn. That's right, corn. Before 1979, corn was used for little more than corn cob pipes and bad jokes. But nowadays, you don't see a corn cob pipe unless you're friends with a banjo player or, or, a, or a scarecrow does your taxes. So the corn lobby convinced the government to subsidize corn. And it's now to the tune of between 10 and $30 billion per year. More than wheat, rice, and soy combined. Corn is now in three out of four products that you buy at the grocery store. Think about that. You grab a soda, you're eating corn. You enjoy some yogurt, you're eating corn. You, you, you get dried fruit, it's sweetened with corn. A chicken nugget has 37 ingredients in it, 30 of which made from eggplant. Uh, I'm sorry, corn. Corn. It's, it, it, it's, it's made from corn. Which begs the question, why are we still calling it a chicken nugget? It should be called a corn nugget with a hint of chicken. But who am I kidding? We've had our heads up our asses about food names for a long time. Hot dogs don't have any dogs in them, and, and, and hamburgers don't have any ham in them. Although, hot dogs probably have a li little bit of dog. Just, just a little bit. Then there's high fructose corn syrup, which finds itself in more food than Kirstie Alley after a breakup. Since it was introduced, obesity rates in this country have tripled. Corn syrup has also been proven to affect cog, 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 cognitive abilities, abilities, cognitive abilities, and 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 soda companies keep using it because it's 20% cheaper than sugar. At least that's why they say they use it. I think they use it because they know they need dumb as candy corn customers in order to convince them to keep buying and drinking a liquid that is known to f*** up their cognitive... ...abilities. And finally, there's ethanol, a fuel made from corn that is far less efficient than gasoline and causes more global warming emissions. The best part is that over the course of one year, we take enough corn to feed 412 million people for a year, and we turn it into ethanol. How sick is that? So I've got a better idea. Let's take those people who were gonna starve to death during the course of that year anyway, and turn them into the fuel that powers our cars. I mean, humanol is the wave of the future. We don't give a about those people starving, but you know what we do give a about? Cheap gasoline. And to think, 
All those years ago, the settlers thought the Native Americans gave them corn as a gift. Turns out it was a 500-year-long plan to make them fat, dumb, and polluted. California women are uh, suing General Mills, claiming that they have been deceptively marketing their Nature Valley products as being natural, when in fact they contain highly processed ingredients. Two uh, California mothers are doing this. And I go through this with my kid all the time. Basically, let her eat uh, what she wants, as long as it's not like a lot of corn syrup and a lot of... I basically give her the, 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 the back of the package. And I said, if you can pronounce what's there, you can eat it. It just makes it easier. Uh, these uh, women are seeking to turn the suit into a class action that would win profits the company has made selling Nature Valley products that contain processed ingredients. One of the mothers, though, however, says that the real uh, reason why they're filing suit is just to uh, increase awareness that when you go into a supermarket and you see all natural, it isn't really all natural. Consumers, apparently, according to surveys, show that uh, prefer foods that are described as natural as opposed to organic. Um, however, Organic products actually must meet some type of verifiable standards by the federal government, whereas uh, natural means basically nothing. The lawsuit's been filed in the U.S. District Court of Northern uh, District of California. It says that uh, Gerald Mills uh, has been engaging in false advertising and anti-competitiveness under California law. At issue are three ingredients, high fructose, fructose corn syrup, high maltose corn syrup, and maltodextrin, which apparently is a sweet sweetener and a thickener. High maltose corn syrup and maltodextrin are highly processed and do not exist in nature. And not even under the most elastic possible definition could they be considered natural, says uh, attorney Michael F. Jacobson. The, um, oh, I'm sorry, he's a, the executive director of the Center for Science and the Public Interest, an advocacy group that works on public health issues and is serving as co-counsel. The FDA recently denied an application by the Corn Refiners Association of America to change the name of high fructose corn syrup to corn sugar. Corn sugar sounds so much, so much better. The consumer groups had uh, fought the um, application because some consumers 
have adverse reactions to the substance and might be confused by the less specific identification. It's basically a made-up thing. There is no such thing as corn sugar. Any more than, like, coolant is coolant sugar. Just because it's sweet does not mean that it's actually sugar. Uh, early onset bipolar disease, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety were diagnosed in one of the mother's daughters at age six. After doing research, the mother, who apparently teaches agriculture at Kern County, California, decided to eliminate all foods with dyes and processed ingredients from her daughter's diet to try and control, control her, her condition. And she's cut out all additives, preservatives, dye, everything. After two years of doing that, she claims that all of those that her daughter has been released from all those diagnoses. Take, uh, take it for what it will, but it's uh, what you will. But one thing is clear: that it's not natural if it's not natural, and you should not be able to label it as such. National brand name food conglomerates are coming a cropper over California's Proposition 37. Actually, it's a double cropper. First, they're frantically scrambling to defeat this citizen's initiative, which would establish a state right-to-know labeling requirement on any food with genetically manipulated organisms in it. The giants fear that consumers, damn you, will reject products containing risky GMOs, so they want to keep such contents a secret. Since the California market is huge, passage of a labeling law there would effectively become a national provision. Thus, the corporations are mounting a massive PR campaign against Prop 37. But, oops, this media blitz is causing a second cropper for them by revealing way more about their conglomerated empires than they want people to know. Another of their carefully constructed consumer frauds is that many multinationals have quietly bought up dozens of popular organic food firms, but they've kept their conglomerate name off the labels, hoping that customers will think the organic brands are still scrappy independent businesses. Now, though, the public is learning that Kashi Organics, for example, is a subsidiary of Kellogg, which is spending a ton to defeat Prop 37. Other megabuck donors to the anti-consumer campaign include General Mills, owner of Muir Glen, Dean Foods, owner of Horizon Organic Milk, plus such giant deceivers as Campbell Soup, Coca-Cola, ConAgra, Hershey, Hormel, Nestle, Ocean Spray, PepsiCo, and Sara Lee. This is Jim Hightower saying, the fun part is that the organic subsidiaries of these giants support the right-to-know labeling law. And some of them are the ones who've outed the corporate parents for financing legalized consumer deception. 
Nothing like a feisty family squabble to air out the dirty linens and expose some ugly truths. Oh, it's like I started breathing on the night we kissed. And I can't remember what I ever did before. What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? Each other through. What would we do, baby, without us? It's the Onion Radio News. Genetically modified shrieking broccoli is toned down. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Nearly two years after the introduction of a genetically modified shrieking broccoli, consumer demand has resulted in the development of a new, quieter, softly speaking broccoli. The Monsanto Corporation created the new high-fiber vegetable by inserting the genes of West Coast light jazz radio announcer Barry Lamond. I'm the kind of health-giving cruciferous delicacy you want to have with your dinner again and again and again. The new broccoli is expected to be on store shelves by the end of the month and will be displayed separately from its shrieking cousin, which will remain in stores as a courtesy to the hard of hearing. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News online. I help them swallowing animals one by one. In every bowl of soup I see lions and tigers watching me. I make them jump right through a hoop. Proposition 37 in California. It's about GMO labeling. Basically, uh, those who vote yes for Proposition 37 would uh, force food companies to label their food uh, if it has any genetically modified organisms in it. So um, it's pretty standard. It's very clear cut. Um, however, it turns out that Proposition 37 is actually losing in uh, polls. So there was one poll done by the California Business Roundtable and Pepperdine University, and they found out that 39.1% support the measure, 50.5% oppose the labeling, and 10.5% are undecided. Now, there's a margin of error of about 3%, so uh, those results are pretty devastating for Proposition 37. Now, here, here's why I want to talk about this, because it's, if you don't live in California, you might say, well, this doesn't affect me. No, no, no. It, this is symbolic of what's wrong with our politics overall, right? So when the polling began on this, it was winning two to one. Why was it winning two to one? Because it actually doesn't cost any money to the taxpayers. It's a no-brainer. And it's not saying you can't eat the GMO, you can't eat the genetically modified foods. It just says, hey, we're going to tell you what it is, right? Exactly. This one has those kind of organisms and this one doesn't, and it doesn't cost you anything. That's why two to one it was winning. And then what happened? The food companies, uh, soft drink manufacturers, biotech companies, and food processors poured in $44 million 
against this proposition in advertising. Yeah, it's amazing. The no campaign, $44 million. The yes campaign, uh, $7 million. So, I mean, there's no competition there. $44 million is so much more than the yes campaign, and it's been disastrous. I mean, it's interesting because we have no control over the advertisers on our YouTube videos. You know, sometimes you'll see ads before the video starts. And uh, I just heard from one of our fans that a lot of the ads that they see is no on 37. So, which is kind of ironic, right? Because yeah. I'm in, I would vote, yeah, I am going to vote yes on 37. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because there are no long-term peer-reviewed studies indicating that genetically modified food is safe. Now, counter to that, there are no long-term studies indicating that they are unsafe. However, I think consumers have the right to know whether or not the food they're eating has been genetically modified. There are good arguments for genetically modified food, but however, I, I think that you know there are negative sides of it as well that a lot of people are just completely ignoring. Now, look, I've listened uh, to a long conference on the downsides of genetically modified food, and and I might not be careful about careful enough about it. But I certainly want to protect my family, and I think that there are significant real issues about it. And all it is doing is giving information. So, but that's the thing. Reality doesn't matter anymore. It, it, information doesn't matter anymore. Money matters. And of that $7 million on the yes side, they barely got started. They're going to pour most of it in the last week. So they, the no side was running basically unopposed for all this time. So they trick people into thinking, oh my God, this is going to cost you a lot of money, and it's over-intrusive government, instead of they run all these deceptive ads, and then people wind up saying, well, I, I guess I'm against it. And that's how you buy elections. So when I talk about money in politics, that's what I'm talking about, where you could have the best argument in the world, you could be incredibly logical, you could be absolutely right, and it's not going to matter if people never hear your side of the story, all they hear is $44 million worth of ads on the corporate side that just totally skews the issue so you accidentally vote the wrong way. And there is definitely misinformation on the corporate side. Uh, in fact, uh, the people who back or, or the no vote no campaign uh, are being investigated because apparently they used a fake FDA seal in one of their press releases. Okay, so they handed out this information that said the U.S. Food and Drug Administration says a labeling policy like Prop 37 would be inherently misleading. Then they quoted that U.S. Food and Drug Administration and used that seal. Yeah, the Food and Drug Administration didn't make that statement. So that statement, ironically, is inherently misleading. But that's exactly what happens in all these props. They make ads that are the exact opposite of what the prop stands for, which, by the way, indicates they know they're wrong, yeah. right? Yep. So if you are trying to trick people into voting for you by making the uh, people believe in the opposition's point of view, well, then obviously you think you're wrong, right? The United States and Canada are the only two countries that have absolutely no regulations when it comes to genetically modified food. Um, and when it comes to labeling, there are no rules, no regulations when it comes to labeling. And honestly, I think consumers have the right to know whether or not they're eating genetically modified food. What's the harm in that? I don't know why people are against the information in this case. And by the way, people who are very pro-science, and, and I'm pro-science, right? Back the you know whole GMO experimentation and putting GMO food out there, and I understand that there is a good side of it, right? But I think that it's a little naive to make the assumption that scientists won't get corrupted by money. Yeah. Because scientists yeah. obviously have an incentive to support GMOs. Okay, so uh, let's not be naive about that. And also, 
When it comes to labeling, like I said, United States, Canada, the only two countries that have, well, not the only two countries, but, you know, the two industrialized countries that don't have any regulations on labeling. Venezuela in 2004 decided, you know what, we want labeling. Colombia in 2012 decided we want labeling. Peru, Brazil, Chile, uh, the European Union, back in 1998. Uh, so you see all these countries that see that it's a good idea to let the consumers know what they're con consuming. But here in the United States, uh, of course, the corporations when everything Monsanto has donated 7.1 million dollars to the no campaign no I'm sure that Monsanto has our best interest in mind Hey, it's Keith from Chicago. How you doing? Uh, my reaction on Obama winning. Uh, in a word, it's relief. Um, it, it wasn't, I didn't feel a feeling of like, oh, triumphant exhilaration. More of just relief, as in you're getting chased by some attack dog and you just get to the house and you slam the door in the face of the attack dog just before it was just got, got you in its grips. And so it's one of relief because look at the stakes. They could have beefed up the House more, taken the Senate, taken the White House, which means that he could have stacked even more the uh, Supreme Court. So relief, relief, relief. We miss you in Chicago. Take care. Bye. Hey, Jake. Uh, this is Patrick from Dallas. Uh, just calling back. I just listened to the climate change episode. Um, hopefully... Uh, with the second term coming up, uh, I think that uh, it's time for Washington, as you say, to, uh, to just face up to the science, face up to the facts. Um, one thing that, that uh, I've noticed is that uh, people have uh, never really addressed the cost of where a lot of the carbon footprint comes from. And uh, I think it's just time to remind people that uh, World Health Organization and uh, some of the United Nations groups have estimated that over 51% of our carbon footprint comes from animal agriculture. This is everything from stuff involved in uh, fertilizer production to the cost of driving cows to market to uh, methane from the cows. And uh, just to remind people that uh, by adopting a vegan diet, you can decrease your carbon footprint more than switching from a Hummer to a Prius. Um, so I think it would be a good time to consider bringing some of this back into the debate. Uh, it certainly seems to get dropped out. Um, also, uh, you know, I would love to give up my car, but I'd need some other form of transportation given my job and, and what I, I have to do. Uh, so I, I try to have the most fuel efficient thing uh, that I can. But I think that really we, we just have to keep putting pressure on people to, to make viable forms of non-fossil fuel based transportation available. Um, it's really difficult to kind of restructure our entire city to not depend on transportation. I, I really don't know how quickly we could we could do all of that. I don't live right next to where I work, 
and my job requires that I be available to go see patients 24 hours a day. So I, I have to be able to get there. Um, anyway, just wanted to bring that back up and um, appreciate all the work you've done over the last four years that I've been listening to the show. Uh, it's really helped keep me informed and up to date on a wide variety of topics, uh, all different sides uh, to discuss with everyone and look forward to uh, hopefully uh, very progressive four years. Hey Jay, my name is Ryan in, Bar- in Vermont. Um, long time listener of the show, love what you do and I thank you for it. Um, in answer to the question of what I think the nation needs to be focusing on now, I think it's simple. What are the things that we need to watch Obama for? You know, people worked really hard to get him elected and now he's there and we can't sit back and relax. I think the nation needs to focus on that and I'd love to hear an episode with that focus as well. Have a good one. Again, love what you do. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So first, just a note on the show itself, uh, Prop 37 that was referenced a few times did end up going down to defeat in California. The vote was about 53% no to 47% yes. And uh, again, as was referenced, the uh, <laughs> the money the money campaign was about forty five point six million dollars for the opposition compared to eight point seven million dollars in favor. Just to give you a sense of it, the uh, the number one donor to the opposition campaign was Monsanto, also mentioned quite a bit in the show, who gave uh, eight point one million. So the number one donor, Monsanto, gave eight point one million. The totality of the of the opposition campaign gave only six hundred thousand dollars more than just that one top donor. Eight point seven million for the entire support campaign versus eight point one just for one donor of the opposition campaign. So, not terribly, terribly surprising that uh, they were able to succeed. It reminds me of this, another segment from the Young Turks in the previous episode about climate change in which Jank breaks down how it really is all about the money, don't waste my time, considering other factors, the side that has more money can buy their way, basically. So definitely not good news there, but definitely news to be expected. Uh, second note on, on the show is that you know for anyone who wants to call in, uh, please feel free. Uh, if you have comments on food choices and uh, you know, dietary uh, arguments on one side or the other, keep in mind, that this show was really entirely based on the environmental impact of food choices. No one's making arguments about your personal morality and how if you eat meat, you're an asshole or anything like that. It really is just kind of the facts on the table is that eating meat is uh, more energy and resource intensive and do with that information what you will. I think that those facts are those facts and that no one should feel personally attacked based on those facts. But I know that food is a really, really sensitive issue for a lot of people, myself included, actually. And, uh, you know, but this is not an issue uh, today. This is not about personal attacks. This is just about 
facts on the ground and uh, trying to figure out not only as individuals but also as a, as a society how to deal with those facts, especially for a group of people, generally speaking, the listeners of the show who believe in something like climate change and all the other environmental issues that go along with it. So those are the big issues. I just want to remind everyone that we are in the home stretch of the podcast awards voting. Uh, that happens just until the 15th, so just a couple more days. Uh, please consider going voting every day over at the podcast awards dot, or podcastawards.com. Best of Left nominated in two categories, and there are a bunch of other progressive shows nominated as well. I suggest you, you know, support The Young Turks and The Majority Report and Citizen Radio and Throwing Shade and all of the others. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the program. That is absolutely how the show survives. Uh, of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the show notes on the blog. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted also on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Take you out in the open